Brothers and sisters, yes, rejoice and be glad. You have a reason for that. Not because you're Americans. Rejoice and be glad because the Lord has risen. And we do not believe in the memories of some illustrious person called Jesus Christ. We do believe in Jesus Christ. We do believe Jesus Christ because he is alive. And he is amidst us. It gives me such a great honor and a unique privilege to stand behind this pulpit and to address you not as ladies and gentlemen you are, but mainly as brothers and sisters, and that's what we are in fact. I am your forgotten unknown brother. I am a Palestinian. I have no bombs. Never had any weapon in my hands. Never encouraged anybody to have any kind of weapon in his heart or in his hands. I am your Palestinian brother and brother. Sometimes I introduce myself as being a walking contradiction. I carry in myself apparently all the contradictions that make a human life quite impossible. I'm a Palestinian, proud to be Palestinian. I'm a Palestinian Arab, which means my mother language is this very easy to learn Arabic language. <laughs> you heard yourself laughing. I know you Americans are not very well known for knowing languages. <laughs> I remember you had a president who hardly could speak correct English. That's, that's your privilege. I don't object on that, but it's a pity. If you don't believe me that Arabic language is easy, please come back with me to Gali after tomorrow. And I'll take you to our kindergarten. Even children there speak Arabic. <laughs> if they can do that, why can't you? Palestinian Arab, Christian, that complicates the story. Because Palestinians and your media are a band of terrorists, jealous of the Jews. And Muslim is even worse. He is a bloodthirsty human being, inclined to violence. And here we have someone who says, I am a Palestinian Arab and Christian. That complicates the picture. I thank God when I discovered that I was not born Christian. It's the Archbishop who's speaking. I was not born Christian. Thank God. I don't know what about you Presbyterian Christians here gathered. Were you born Christians? Or you were like me? I was born a baby. 
only a babe. Not any babe. I was created, imagine, on the image and with the likeness of God himself. Can you imagine that? It's who am I? I became Christian not long ago. I know your church, although extremely successful, you have how many years? 60, 70 years existing here? Not more than that. You did not start Christianity, brothers and sisters. You did not start Christianity up here. You were the result, the outcome of 2,000 years of procession of millions of people who believed in what you carry now, your values, your Christianity, your love for God. You're not the beginning. You are the continuation of this chain of human beings marching towards the kingdom of God. I myself was not the starting of everything. I was born in Galilee. And we Palestinian Christians, we think, we feel time in a different way like you. We never forgive those who put this damned engine in our hands. <laughs> and they divided our time to seconds, minutes, hours, weeks, months, years, six centuries. That's too much for us. We still feel time differently. We are linked to the past. We are pulled toward the future. And we believe that 1,000 years are like one day before the Lord. That's what we read in Asad, right, my dear John? If 1,000 years are like one day before the day, the Lord, tell me, what are 2,000 years? The day before yesterday. Just that. He was hanging around with our boys and girls, our men and women. He was taking part in our weddings and in our funerals. He was watching our shepherds, our clouds, our flowers, our sheep, our goats. And he took all of those and made of them the parables of the kingdom of heaven. I do hope sincerely that everyone among us had the opportunity at least once to read these stories that were written. If you don't have the book, by the way, reading these stories are much more important than to read Blood Brothers. If you don't know the name of the book, I'll tell it to you. The name is the New Testament. It's there where you find our stories. It is then when he was walking around the Sea of Galilee, a young man, 27 years old, he saw a versed person in his business, Peter, the fisherman. He looked at him and said, come, follow me. Then he saw Nathanael, oh, come on, leave Cana, come and follow me. You, Philip, abandon everything and follow me. How come that these men from Galilee, who were successful in their business, when they heard him saying, come and follow me, they came and followed him. How come? Imagine yourself, 
going in a pilgrimage, walking around the Sea of Galilee, and some young Jew would come and say to you, uh, Mr. Abandon everything, come and follow me. You, ma'am, come and follow me. Would you follow? Surely not. If he insists that you have to follow him, you would immediately call the police. <laughs> That's how we turn to be incredibly. What did he use in order for these men to follow him? Either a magic power or something much more important, a divine power. And we know that Jesus Christ never used any magic power. He attracted us with his love and with his divine power. And they followed him all through. And soon he abandoned his home city, Nazareth, because we people of Nazareth did not believe in him. All we wanted him is to do some miracles in our town, Nazareth, so we can pride ourselves in the presence of the people of Cana. Oh, the wedding, that's banal. Come and see what he has done in our midst in Nazareth. But he did not do any miracle because they have no faith. And he preferred to abandon Nazareth and go live in Peter's house in Capernaum. It's there that he healed between other patients, the crippled man. It was something fabulous, something out of order, out of ordinary. And the people use the Arabic telephone from ear to ear, and that goes very fast. It never stops. That's why gossip in our society takes an important place. So people started coming from all over Galilee, from Tyre and Sidon and Lebanon, from Samaria, from Judea, from Jerusalem. They wanted to hear that man, maybe to see some miracle, maybe to touch him. He was attracting them so strongly. After hearing the crippled, they went to sleep. They did not sleep like we do today, I hope, each one is bed. They used to lie down on the floor, cover themselves, one or two covers, and that's why the father and the mother would be always on the wake to watch if their children are being uncovered and that makes them sick, they would get up and cover them again. That's how was it. That's how I used to do when we were in our village before we were deported by the Israeli army. Peter got up early, looked at the master, if he is uncovered, he needs to cover him or help, but he was not there. People, uh, Peter was alerted. He got up and went to look for his master. It was around 5.36 in the morning, very early. Around the house, it was overcrowded with people from everywhere. They saw Peter going out. They said, he's going to fetch the Lord. We will go and follow him. And the disciples got up very alerted, very anxious. Where is the master? And they followed Peter. 
he walked around three kilometers, one and a half miles. And he knew where would his master be when he retires. He would never escape meeting people. But he would choose some quiet time to sit down and to converse with his heavenly father. And he was on the Mount of Beatitudes. Those who never were there think the Mount of Beatitudes is higher than the Himalaya. It's not true. It's not even a mountain. It's not even on the sea level. It's below sea level. We imagine it higher than the Himalaya because the person who was sitting there on top was very high. He was the creator himself. When Jesus saw the disciples headed by Peter coming to him, he was not annoyed. He did not tell them, wait, I'm conversing with my father. Wait till I finish my prayer. He looked at them. He saw them like sheep without shepherd. He got moved. Like he's always moved when we get away. So he told them, come on, come closer. Closer to me. Sit around me. And it was sometime early in March. Then there is green grass. You can sit on it. They sat in semicircles around the Lord. And the crowd surrounded them. And the Lord looked at them as the disciples. He would today look at those who go in church. You're not the majority, you are the minority. He looks at them and says, Oh, my dear friends. We read in the Bible, Blessed are you. This is a bad translation. It was written first in Aramaic. And in Aramaic, the term used is Ashrei. This Ashrei is taken from the verb Yashar, straight. And to yashar means to straighten up. And the reflective verb of yashar is to straighten up yourself. And the eight beatitudes were rather a calling, urgent calling for the disciples to get up, to move, to do something, if needed, to get their hands dirty. If really and truly they are hungry, for righteousness and for justice. When he came to the last blessing, he did not tell them, oh my dear friends, sit down like you are now sitting idle, doing nothing but being peace contemplators. I love to contemplate peace. If you do love to contemplate peace, then get up, move, go ahead. Go away from in front of me. Go and be peace builder, proactive for peace. Get your hands dirty in order to open up for peace. Peace is not something that we have to look for. Peace not the target. Peace is the way we have to live. From the very beginning, get up, go ahead, do something. Get your hands dirty in order not to have a reward for building peace. 
not to have a gift in return for being peacemakers, but to change identity and to become a child of God. If you get your hands dirty for peace, you will be known as children of God. And this is what I wish everybody of you here. Don't forget he ended his sermon or his teaching, his appeal with saying to his disciples what I will say to you now. You are American Christians. You are and you have to become the salt of the earth and the light for the world. That is not a calling for pride and for superiority. It's rather a calling, an urgent calling for humility and for modesty. Like the salt. You know, you put a little salt in the dish to change the flavor, to give a better flavor for the food. And this is our mission, my brothers and sisters. We need to be like the salt, to accept to disappear in the big dish so people can eat and have some taste, some flavor in what they eat. It's an invitation to humility, to accept disappearing like our forefathers in the first centuries. When they were killed, they would never ever, we never have any case of any Christian who would have returned violence for violence. They accepted to be killed because of the Lord. And one of the leaders of the Romans, Festus, who killed so many Christians, wrote to the emperor in Rome, it is strange, these Christians, when we kill them, every drop of blood that comes down from their bodies brings one more believer in Jesus Christ. They disappeared in order to survive. And when it comes to the light, you are the light of the world. Oh, I am from the third world, brothers and sisters, you know that sincerely I do love you. And I respect you. I admire much of what you do, what you are. You are the light of the world. That doesn't mean you are better than the others. That means you need to show the way towards something else. Like the signs on the, on the road. When you come from far away and you see Minneapolis, you don't stop and say, here I am in Minneapolis. You must have something wrong in your head. This road sign is made to invite you to go further away, to continue your way till you reach Minneapolis. The same thing for us Christians. To be the light of the world means we have to show others how to continue looking for the Lord till they reach the goal. And very often, in our countries of the, of the third world, we like to tell you very humbly, very thoroughly, without any voice, but our life expresses itself saying, we know that you are the light of the world, but for God's sake, turn down your projectors. You are blinding us with your light. Christ was not blinding. And if we are the light of the world, 
We should give up this temptation to walk ahead of everybody and to say to the Lord, we're Americans, follow us, Lord. He would follow. Since he is the true light, what would be reflected in front of us is our shadow. And we would believe that our shadow is the leader. Poor that we are if we do that. We need to follow the Lord, not to ask him to follow us. My brothers and sisters, I bring you really the greetings of so many Christians, thousands of them I met in Lebanon last week. Over 370,000 Lebanese Christians gathered around the Holy Father, the Pope, in Beirut. I bring you their greetings, their fears, and their worries that they might disappear. They all ask, what would happen to us after the Syrian tragedy would stop? Would our fate be like the fate of the Christians in Iraq? where after the invasion to Iraq, very few Christians are still there. 500,000 from altogether 2,500,000. They are scattered everywhere in the Middle East. And many thousands are here in the U.S. I was visiting Detroit my friend Bishop Ibrahim Ibrahim from Iraq. We celebrate the huge opportunity there. And he told me, Abuna, five years ago, all I had in Detroit were 4,000 Iraqi Christians. Now, I have over 150,000 Christians from Iraq. Refugees here not knowing their future, not very clearly knowing what they have to do. They are just lost. In Galilee, where I live, I work, I'm proud to have sometimes the thought that among my community members, one is called Jesus Christ, another is called Mary, others are called the apostles. It's such a great honor for me. But I tell you, they are not easy to deal with. You have to be serious with them if you want to belong to them and they belong to you. The Christians in Galilee endured the tremendous difficulties since 1948 when Israel was created and the Palestinians were ethnically cleansed and many hundreds of thousands were deported to the neighboring Arab countries. Out of 100% of Christians, only 25% remained in the country. The others, I visited many of them last week in Dubai refugees camp in Lebanon. They became refugees, deportees. Many are living among you here. We are doing our utmost and we invite you to help us in that respect to convince the Christians to stay in their homes, work on their land, and continue to witness for the message of Jesus Christ, for the risen Jesus Christ. Very difficult. 
That's why I invite you when you go to the Holy Land. To go and visit the holy places for sure. Go into the Holy Sepulchre as long as you want. But don't stay too long there. Because it's somehow smelly. There's very small light in it. You can't see anything. It's the only place in the world, the Holy Sepulchre, where it's officially written in the marble. He is not here. So tell me what are you going to do where he is not? <laughs> Get out. Get out. It's written also, he is risen. Go find him risen. Go down to Galilee, to my diocese, to see the risen Lord. Don't stay long. We have enough problem together, Jews and Palestinians, without you. Come and visit and go along, ahead, back to your own Galilee, here in Minneapolis, where you have to witness for the risen Lord, where you have to give attention to someone whom you never respected, where you have to help an old man or woman who never deserved your attention. This is your Galilee. This is your risen Lord. Holy Sepulchre, who among us, me the first, did not build his own holy sepulchres of selfishness, of self-interest, of this is mine, not the others, lack of sharing, lack of openness. These are our holy sepulchres. We have to get rid of them because it's written deep in that sepulchre. He is not here. Go and look for him. My dear brothers and sisters, I wish that my compatriots, the Christians from Galilee, they're all Palestinian Arabs, could stand here secretly and look at you and say, my goodness, is that true? Are these Americans? They are beautiful people. Continue, please, to be the nice image of America. What we receive from you abroad is not very beautiful. Send us everything, but stop sending weapons and money. That has never helped us, that will never help us. Send us some copies of your constitution. That would be much better. We need your friendship. We're open to welcome you. I hope, my dear John, you'll have the courage to go ahead concretely. And we are ready to build a twin relation between your beautiful community and our poor communities. We have lots to give you. And we know that we have lots to receive from you. The last thing will be money. May God bless you, bless this community, and be always risen among you and in your life. Amen. Thank you.